There is snow on the ground and sun in the sky. What a day! Wow! It's been raining for several weeks here in the Netherlands, but today it is truly winter. This morning I woke up and it was snowing, and there's a very thin layer of snow still on the grass here in the parks on my left. There is fortunately no ice or snow on the roads, and that is, of course, always nice for people in cars or on bikes because you don't want to have slippery circumstances. This is always my greatest fear on Sunday mornings that I wake up and I have to go to a remote location of the parish and there is ice everywhere and that makes it impossible to get there because I only have a bike, I don't have a car. So fortunately that only happens maybe once or twice every year and there's always a solution for that but this morning I was surprised that it was snowing but this is the kind of weather that I actually really enjoy it's like the air is very crisp I love the blue skies I love seeing the sun after two weeks of gray skies and that little dusty layer of snow makes it feel super wintry it is cold it's below freezing point so I'm wearing my winter coat I have gloves on I've got a my New Zealand winter hat that is now maybe 10 years old and is really in dire need of a replacement so I'll probably have to catch a flight to New Zealand one of these months <laughs> and get a new one although it's probably not winter over there right now I think it's uh, um, it's the middle of springtime it is going towards the higher temperatures. So today I want to share with you some really exciting things that are going on and that I'm working on in this uh, first month of the year. And uh, some of these new things that I'm developing um, have really hit the mark. So uh, they, they give me energy I feel like this is something I, I can achieve. It's not just a fluke idea. I have lots of those, as you can imagine. Hey, this is funny. It's a little wooden nativity scene here on a, uh, in, in a garden of a house. And I think this is made by children. So they used cardboard, or how do you say that? It's like the th this thin wood and a uh, figure saw. And then they painted Mary and that little baby Jesus. It looks a bit like um, like a worm. <laughs> it looks like a, a more like an animal than um, than a child. But oh, it's the it's the thought that counts. It's funny to see such a public display of a nativity scene here in this town because the majority of the population used to be Protestant, and I don't think that's a that's a Protestant thing to do, to, to have nativity scenes. It's more of a Catholic tradition. Anyway, <laughs> getting off track here. But <clears throat> usually my, my, my trap, or the, the trap at the beginning of the year that I suffer from, and maybe you too, is that we have a million ideas. Uh, we make tons of resolutions, New Year's resolutions, that last exactly one or two weeks and then we give up. But this time I try to approach it in a different way. 
in a sense that I have made no resolutions that I haven't been preparing for weeks. And so the new things that I'm trying out are part of a well-thought-out plan. And it's a long-term plan. And what I usually... Um, what I used to do in the past, at the beginning of the new year, was, and, and this is part of how my brain works, I get super excited about something. I go full force, full energy for two, three days. And then it turns out to be more difficult than I expected. And I can't keep it up. And there's something else that's um, more interesting or more urgent to do. And then the whole project disappears just as fast as I initiated it. But not this, not these new things that I'm about to share with you in this episode of The Walk. And let me first give you a small example of something that has changed and was a deliberate choice that is the fruit of several weeks of developing new skills. And (laughs) to give you an introduction, Last Christmas, on Christmas Eve, I was invited to celebrate Mass in one of the biggest churches of our parish. Um, it was the midnight Mass, although it started at, um, I think, 10.30, but it definitely went on beyond midnight, so we'll just call it midnight Mass. And it was the third Mass in a row. There, there are... Uh, a lot of celebrations on Christmas Eve for different audiences. So there is a family mass in the beginning of the evening and then there is a more traditional Christmas celebration and then I had the midnight mass with this time a young adult choir and they are very good quality-wise and they attract a lot of people. So we had a a very well-filled church and I was asked to... uh, to be the celebrant. Now, Christmas, of course, is always a a challenge when it comes to preaching because uh, you never know who is going to be in front of you, especially for in my case where I'm relatively new to this parish. And so I didn't know exactly what the, the audience would be. And also you often have to do with a lot of people that never go to church except on Christmas Eve. And so you don't want to Um, preach in such a way that they feel excluded. My solution was, I will tell a story. And I just came back from from Rome, so I had a story um, in my mind that was basically a walk through the streets of Rome during Christmas, and I mentioned a couple of things that I witnessed. I won't repeat the whole homily here. And then there was a central part where it was more of a meditation on, so what is exactly Christmas? What is it truly about? And then there was a a wrap-up and also a a payoff of what I had set up at the beginning of the story. So um, it had a, a conclusion and it was constructed in such a way that you had to keep listening to know how the story would end. This is my... Um, my my basic format that I use every week. And it is the fruit of well, more than a year now of experience in telling short-form stories um, and to work with 
what I call story loops in a sense that you, you begin the story, but you, you set it up, and, and, but you don't finish it. You don't pay it off right away. So that will create tension and anticipation and also gives the listener energy to keep on paying attention. And then you open a second story loop that is like a, it's like onion uh, layers. So there's a, another story loop that you open and you also wait until the end of the homily to wrap that up. And then in the heart of the format is the actual message that you want to convey. But if you would just give that message, it would be just theory. The story is vital to help the listener to situate your message in the real world. That's why I always use real world examples, things that are either part of what I've gone through or my personal experiences, or it's a good story that I've heard from someone else. And, and that type of storytelling that I've been trying out for over a year now has proven to be extremely efficient and um, it, it, it helps to keep people's interest all the time. The only danger of this approach is that the story can take over and this is more of a personal issue that I have and it's related to uh, the the way I perceive time. It is a pretty common trait of people that have ADHD that they have a, a, a bit of a warped experience of time. In a sense, I have trouble estimating time. Um, I, I don't really feel that time is progressing. This is why you may hear my Apple Watch alerting me from time to time while I'm recording this episode. Because I've noticed that I have to have an external device or app that um, keeps track of time for me so that I can focus on the story. But that app has to notify me when it's time to wrap up. And so for an episode of The Walk, before I press record on my H2, I, uh, I, I tell Siri to set a timer for 35 minutes. That gives me a couple of minutes to keep start walking. Sometimes there's a lot of traffic noise that I don't want in the actual recording. So uh, I, I have a few minutes to, oh wow, I'm in the woods now. And all these, remember the, the muddy pools that I tried to circumnavigate last week? They're all frozen now. And I'm actually also wearing my professional hiking boots like the the ones that go all the way over my ankles. So I'm really prepared for no matter what circumstances here in the woods. But it's nice to see that the, the ground here in the woods is much more firm than last week. So uh, the, uh, the, the, what, what this timer does is to help me realize that it's time to end the story. Because if a story goes on for too long... You, no matter how well it's constructed, people have a certain amount of time that they can concentrate and you start losing people. And that's the last thing you, that you want, especially when you want to convey an important Christmas message. So I do this for my podcast. I also do this for the break where I have a similar timer. I don't do this in church. And so the homily uh, being mainly... 
a story about my time in Rome started to become more and more detailed. It was almost as if I was recounting an episode of the Catholic Insider. Um, as I told you, I recorded a whole slew of podcast episodes while I was in Rome, and the majority of those episodes are at least half an hour long, sometimes 45 minutes. Sometimes the last one that I recorded was two hours, but I'm going to divide that into separate sections. Um, but in a homily, of course, that's way too much information, and it can be a good story, but I did get feedback afterwards from people that it was too long it was way too long and in fact it was i think i spoke for definitely half an hour probably more approaching 40 minutes and i felt i i felt bad about that because i that was not my intention i just wanted to tell a good story that would give people lots of visual images of both of christmas and of um what what the story was illustrating the message and I think it, I, I was successful in that but it was so long that people were literally starting to feel it. If you have to sit in those very uncomfortable church pews for such a long time and you're not moving, nothing happens visually, it's, it's really uh, an ordeal. And that was for me extremely valuable feedback and I thank the people that gave me that feedback. By the way, I also got an, a wonderful email of one of my parishioners that blew me away. It's the most extensive feedback that I've ever had, where it was not at all about the duration, but it was the effect that my style of preaching had on that person and on her children. Um, and she said, this is nothing I've ever experienced before. We were so, we felt so much as if you were talking to us. And this was so different from what we associate with church, where it's usually going over our heads. And you have such a, uh, an engaging style, and it's funny, and there are jokes, and, but there's also depth, and it makes you think. And well, anyway, that whole email was wonderful proof of the method of telling stories and to what I try to do is um, to first and foremost bring people along and transport them to another place that's what story a good storytelling does and the majority of the homily is that process and then a part a small part of it but that one is absolutely essential the heart of the homily is the message but the message is wrapped in layers and layers of storytelling. This is the principle of infotainment, where this is what I do in a lot of my um, programs in podcasts. Is I tell stories and then there is one nugget or two nuggets of, of stuff that goes a little bit deeper. But if the show would just be that, nobody would watch. It's like um, what I do on TikTok. 80% of it is just commentary explanation of... Uh, a movie or a television episode and then there's this one core message that I try to convey what it's truly about and how it resonates with me all right this is uh, this used to be mud valley here extremely wet and muddy but I can now walk across it's almost as if you know I'm walking over ice I don't have to 
dive into the in, into the surrounding bushes to avoid this this mud pool here. I could just walk over it. I love it. <laughs> but so that was one exception. But uh, I also got several emails, uh, or not emails, but some feedback, and some of the feedback was related to me. But they say it's too long. It's really too long. And I, um, what I did with this feedback was. I know this, by the way. I, I often say it out loud to people. Like, I know that my homily was too long. And I know that I have a tendency to do this. I'm, I'm trying to improve this. And then just recently, I started to explain also to the parishioners. This is how my brain works. I, I, it's, it's something that I don't really control. I do have a clock, but it is... It, it's it's I, I can't see it's not in front of me so I don't I, I forget to look at the time so uh, and people understand and they know that it's just part of the deal if you go to mass with Father Roderick there's going to be a lot of storytelling but from my part I was like this is something I need to work on because I believe it's possible to convey the same message and to use the same format, but to do it in a much shorter, to-the-point way that I'm actually doing. And this is where one of my new projects has uh, helped me already. And that is the, the habit that I'm establishing to write a short article or story. And it's really, it, I try to make it as short as possible. I, I, I feel it's still too long right now, so... I'm, uh, I'm averaging about 450, 470 words. I want to bring that down to 300 words. And it's something I do for my followers that are interested in movies, TV shows, the listeners to the break. That's basically my target audience. And of course, there's overlap with the part of the audience that listens to The Walk. But this is my entry-level communication. And... Uh, I explained this also at the beginning of this week's episode of The Break, or last week's episode, I forgot, um, where this is part of a, an effort that I put into connecting with my community and bringing people together in live, live sessions, live webinars, or whatever you want to call it. I'll get to that, hopefully, later on in, in, during this walk. Uh, so I'm leaving this muddy path and this is a much more solid path so they uh, they hardened this one uh, and that works even better <laughs> I'm so glad I have my hat on because my my ears otherwise would freeze off my my gloves are actually too thin because my fingers especially the ones that are holding this microphone are now starting to cool down considerably <laughs> it's this biting cold there's also a bit of wind that makes it feel even colder than it actually is so uh these stories um if people are subscribed to the patreon community and i've got about half half so half of the people in my patreon community are supporters and donate financially the other half are people that are part of the community for free. This also includes, and that's why it's so wonderful, um, anyone who has been a patron in the past, but for whatever the reason, couldn't continue their patronage. 
I'm still able to reach them with these stories, and I try to. And, and of course, if it's too much and they don't want to listen to me or <laughs> read those things, they can always unsubscribe with one uh, by following one link. But uh, my hope is that for the majority of those patrons, they will still appreciate me trying to stay in touch with them, even though they are unable to support me financially. And uh, I felt that, that just writing a short story is going to be the basis of um, a habit that can help me trans transform everything I do for that primary target audience. Because one of the issues that I've struggled with last year uh, was how can I create these short-form videos if, uh, if every video takes me a day to produce? That's unsustainable, especially because it doesn't bring in any revenue. It's, uh, it's too much investment for what it ultimately um, uh, delivers. And the, so I tried to formulate, so what is my goal with... Uh, when it comes to this large audience of geeks that are following me, well, it is to build community, to strengthen that bond. So that is my target. And the means that I use to solidify that bond is, first of all, write a short story. Um, it's always about movies, TV shows, or you know, stuff that I talk about in my podcasts. And then I add reflection, I add a message, I add some faith... Uh, or personal observations. That text in itself, because it's so short, can then easily be turned into a script for a video. And then, of course, it requires a few additional steps that you do need to make it look nice, and so it, it, it requires more illustrations than I would put in an email, obviously. But the basis is there. Like, 80% of the work is done. Now, for me... The, the most important aspect of this writing process is, first of all, establish the habit of writing. So where I would, in previous years, go full out, and I would not just write a story every day, but I would film it, I would edit it, I would put it online, I would respond to the comments. I now know that that is because, um, as someone who has ADHD, it is this inability to truly... Um, estimate the amount of time and effort it takes to do all that. In my mind, I can do it in five minutes. In reality, it takes a day. And so <clears throat> what usually happened was that then, since I couldn't do everything that, I, that my brain was like, sure, you can do that, it's easy, um, I would get discouraged and I would give up and move on to the next thing, the next squirrel that crossed my path. Still haven't seen any real-life squirrels so far. I think they're all hiding in their holes and only venture out to try to find some food here in the woods. But it's going to be hard because I think most of the food is already gone <clears throat> around this time of the year. Anyway, the, what, what, what has changed now is that for me the most essential thing that I'm doing is writing those short articles and getting in to my primary audience. And I don't pressure myself to also do the video recording and the editing and all that. That's for later. What matters most is those short stories. So um, 
I use an app that helps me to track um, my energy levels during the day. It's called, what was it called? Was it Peaks? Something like that. It was one of those apps that um, around Christmas time, you could get a lifetime subscription for free. So I was like, okay, let's, let's try it out. And I have to say, it's amazing. It's really amazing. So it, it looks at your patterns. So it uses a lot of the data from Apple Health. And then um, it sees when you are actually um, at, at your best and when your energy starts to fade away. And it suggests things that you can do to optimize your time. And so this is totally different from like what I used to try in the past, like creating these convoluted schedules and my ideal week, etc. Here I'm much more following my biorhythm. So what, what is currently my, the best activity that I can do? And so it places activities at very strange moments of the day. But I've been trying to follow those suggestions and I've, I've noticed that it actually really works. So it tells me now is the time to be, to be creative. So if you want to write something, do it now. And you have about one hour, one twenty, uh, one hour and 20 minutes. And then you will start to feel more tired. So it's better to do, then do something else. Um, and <laughs> I get that, that incentive to do something creative or that, that hint um, in the morning. But strangely enough, also pretty late in the evening, around 9 o'clock, it tells me, hey... This would be a good time if you want to do anything creative. Do it now. So those are, right now, my writing times. And I've, I've noticed that that actually really works. So I set myself, uh, uh, I give myself that time. I, I set everything else aside, turn off all the notifications. I use the Apple system to, um, you have like different modes that you can, that you can schedule. So you can say, well, okay, from, from now on until like, uh, for the next 80 minutes, I don't want to be called. I don't want to get notified. My screen has to turn black and white. <laughs> can do all that. And then I start writing. Now, this writing habit, and especially my goal to keep it very short, because otherwise I know that people are not going to read it. This is going to end up in their email box. And if you read a website, same thing. You don't want to wade through pages and pages of content. So I need to deliver a story that is engaging and entertaining and also inspirational, instructive. And I have to do that within the confines of 300 to 400 words. That's my goal. And while I was trying that out this week, I said to myself, you know what? If I can do this on paper, I can also do this in my homilies. I can use the same format that really works, but I can do it in so much less time than I've been than I've been doing. But the one thing, the one problem I had to solve is how can I tell how much time I've been talking? Because I tried out many things. I even tried to use the the timer on my fo- on my watch, but it's inconvenient. But then you have to start before you. I've just read the gospel and then people see me fiddling with my watch trying to set a timer and then of course it it just never works and so this is where I found totally by accident this app 
uh, that is, um, I think it's called Time Timer. It's free. It's uh, created by um, a company that uh, also makes physical timers that you can buy. And um, I had come across this principle in the past where it's, it's, a, it's like, a, like an egg timer, but it has this red disc and you set it to the amount of minutes that you want a countdown for and that red part of the circle becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And so this is a visual timer. And that makes for me, for the way my brain works, makes all the difference. But this app is even cooler because you can set different timers for different activities. So I created a specific timer for my homilies. And it's exactly seven minutes and 30 seconds long. That is the time that Pope Francis recommends as the ideal time for a homily, which I always thought was ridiculous. You know, how can you tell a, a story in seven and a half minutes? It's too short. And I was finding all sorts of excuses to not listen to that advice. I said, well, it all depends on, on the quality of the storyteller. You know, I can entertain people for an hour with a podcast or a video or a live stream. Um, you know, I, I can take all the time I want as long as my story is good. But... I had changed this idea of, uh, like, I'm not, why, why don't I give it a try and focus on uh, telling a good story in those seven and a half minutes? If I can do it on paper, I should be able to do it in, during Mass as well. So this timer that I set, and in that, in many ways, is better than a physical timer because it keeps the screen on, on my phone. I only have to press play. And it fills an entire circle. The entire circle is red. And it's like a pie chart. It, it starts to, de, de, to become smaller and smaller. And um, it also gives me a, an immediate idea of where I am or where I should be in, my, in the format of my story. So the introduction, obviously, should be no more than 30% of the entire disc, right? Because otherwise I will never be able to wrap things up. Um, so visually, I don't have to think about it. I just see, okay, now I need to wrap up that introduction. Okay, so now we're at the core part of the homily. Let's go over that. And I just say the things I want to say. And then I see that there's only, like, it, it, time goes by extremely fast. But when there was only one third of the, of the pie left, I knew that I had to start wrapping things up and coming to some conclusions. I had planned to share way more than I actually did. So it also forced me to go to the most important point. So instead of saying, well, here are the five things that you need to remember about today's gospel, I said there are just two things that really, that I think are really important, at least are important to me, and here they are. And I just mentioned two things, and then it was the end of the homily. And I saw that people were confused. I was like, wait, did he just finish the homily? <laughs> Normally he wouldn't even have been at the half, halfway point. And so I got a lot of feedback after Mass from people that said, um, you know, actually we don't mind if you preach a little bit longer. <laughs> it was a good story, don't get us wrong, but, you know, don't feel obliged to keep it so short. And I felt that was the best feedback because what happens then is that people have bought in. 
they're on board. They want more. So I told them, hey, you want to hear more of my homilies? Just come to church next week. <laughs> it's, a, it's actually really cool to be able to say people, like, the people are demanding more. Instead of complaining that it was too much and uh, we don't want this. And now I have a buy-in, <laughs> mentally at least. It's like, well, you know what? It's just You can have this every week if you come to church every week. And that was such a, that was such a cool moment. And people laugh about it. It was like, Phew. some people actually said, I'm not going to go to church every week. Come on, I'm not that religious. And I'm thinking in my mind, I was like, you know what? That would be a nice challenge for me to to make you so enthusiastic that you actually want to go to mass every week this was a huge learning experience and also for me um, a fantastic proof of concept that with these short story-based pieces of information you can actually uh, change people's minds you can make them eager and wanting and so I've now applied the same principle. So the, the, the writing habit is just for those short stories directed to my target audience, my primary target audience, I should say. But you've heard me talk also about the, the, the other big project for this upcoming year, and that is to develop a coaching business and to become a social media coach here, my, my watch is actually telling me it's uh, time to start wrapping things up. Um, so this is how I do it. Just I, I cannot walk around with my phone, obviously, when I'm in the woods uh, because I have my hands full <laughs> with the microphone and everything. So here's where Siri helps me to uh, realize that it's time to start wrapping things up. So for the coaching, um, this is all going to be about helping other people to learn from things like this. Like how can you um, use your, let's say you're a parish, and one of your biggest pain points is that you're unable to reach young people. You don't know how to speak to them. They don't care for you. They, they, you, you, they, they, you can't reach them in any way. They don't come to church. You never see them. How do you bridge that gap? Because there's a huge desire that I witness every week of this older generation that still goes to church to share this with their children and grandchildren, but they don't know how. Well, one of the things that I want to do this year is to help people become better at this, especially parishes, because I think it's, you know, individually, it's, it's going to be different for everyone. But for parishes, this is, I think, imperative. If they want to continue to exist... They need to master this. They need to know how to speak to young people and connect with them. And so I'm thinking I can help, for instance, um, with social media communication. How do parishes manifest themselves in these social media? Do they even think of storytelling as a means to get people hooked on their content? Do they speak the language of the generation that they want to reach. If they want to reach young people, then why is every single bit of parish information that they send out geared towards very church-going, pious, elderly people? There's nothing wrong with that. 
But I want them to realize that if, if they want to reach another demographic, they need to change their communication. And so for me, the, the big project that I'm co-developing next to this different way of reaching my podcast audiences and TikTok and, and YouTube audiences is by creating, um, by doing what I want to teach other people to reach out to those parishes. So th this is the opposite of what I think my future clients will need to learn. I need to learn to reach those parishes or, the, or, or diocesan teams or in individual people that have been hired to do communication. It doesn't always have to be in a, in a church content, uh, context. This can be also for just anyone who has a message and feels that that message deserves an audience that they are unable to reach now. The principles, whether you apply it to a parish or you apply it to um, a, a, a company, or the principles are the same. The, the proven strategies and methods are agnostic. I think it just helps that I, as a priest, can offer this type of coaching because I understand much faster what these parishes want to accomplish, what their ideals are, and also what the limitations are in the context of uh, a community that is mainly uh, working with volunteers and usually restrain, you know, restrictive budgets. So I know what kind of mindset I need to change. Because a lot of parishes think like I used to think, and still sometimes, if I'm not, not paying attention, still think. It's this... This mindset where you feel like, oh, we've lost everything already, you know. We're, we're never, we're never going to be able to do this. So let's just try to keep it at the minimum. Instead of thinking from a prosperous mindset where it's, no, we can grow this year. We're not looking at the empty seats in our church as a proof of our, our defeat <laughs> and the end of uh, our relevancy. No, we see those seats as open places for new customers <laughs> that we want to get into those benches every week. How do you do that? And I, I was thinking the other day, wouldn't it be cool to help, for instance, uh, a, a parish community to start writing email newsletters that have this storytelling and infotainment style and at the same time have a call to action and the call to action is... If you want to hear more about this, hey, next week, church is open at 10 on Sunday and there's great coffee afterwards. Why don't you uh, come and take a look? You know, no strings attached. Is this kind of like soft selling approach combined with a lot of in infotainment and also knowing your target audience and who you speak to and how you speak to that target audience. Those are fundamental elements of any type of communication. And what I try to, what I'm going to try to work on is to set up this whole aspect of what I do to help others. Is how can I create, how, first of all, how can I make people aware of the fact that I am available for this kind of stuff? And then how can I help them to, to set the next step? That's always like, how can you make this feasible? Because people oftentimes, especially when it comes to this kind of stuff, like online communication, a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do this. 
and uh, help us. <laughs> well, that's where, that's where I'm here for. So anyway, um, I'll talk a little bit more about the specifics of this aspect of what I'm going to do um, in the premium version of the, of the walk. And if you want to uh, get access to those premium episodes, um, become a patron at the $5 or more level over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and um, always open for your feedback. Let me know what you think and if you have any ideas uh, about my mission towards geeks or the, these plans about social media coaching. If there is a specific question that you have yourself or you're even interested yourself or your parish is interested in getting coached by me, just send me, a, send me an email and I'll tell you more. God bless.